Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Blog Talk Radio. Actually, so I put that information on my wall. I tweeted it out. I haven't put it on Tumblr or 
Google Plus yet, but I will do that immediately after the show. So we're looking forward to meeting you guys. We're looking forward to this conversation, this much-needed dialogue within, you know, communities of color. And this is being spearheaded by an HBCU, which is what makes this even, you know, more needed. So, you know, again, we welcome you guys to come on out and to join us. And for those that, you know, aren't familiar, we're having a conference October 11th and 12th in Los Angeles, California. This is People of Color Beyond Faith, and it promises to be, you know, a very, very, you know, good time. You know, we have a lot of different subjects. It's diversity. We're going to have people of all walks of life there, and we look forward to meeting you guys, and we want you all to be a part of this. So in addition to our monthly webcast, we're actually putting together a physical conference, and we invite you. We want to meet you. We want to see you. We want you to participate in these um, discussions, but in addition to that, after the conference, there will be um, video footage available and a DVD for sale. So, you know, we're looking forward to all of that. So we just thank you all for your support over the years. You know, Black Free Thinkers is pretty much officially three years now. We're going on our fourth year, our fourth season. And, again, as I tell you all all the time, how much I love you, how much I appreciate you, keep sending those, you know, great emails, those great inboxes, Keep sending your support, your encouragement, and your motivation because we need that sometimes. You know, it helps us get through another day, and it encourages us to bring you more of this wonderful, you know, subject matters that, you know, we feel that is vital to the community. And as Dr. Hutchison always says, atheism is not enough. So without further ado, I would like to introduce our guest of the day. Our guest today is the one and only Greta Christina. And let me tell you a little bit about her. Greta Christina is the author of Coming Out Atheist, How to Do It, How to Help Each Other, and Why. Her previous book, Why Are You Atheist So Angry? 99 Things That Piss Off the Godless is an Amazon bestseller in the atheism category, and she is also the author of Bending, Dirty Kinky Stories About Pain, Power, Religion, Unicorns, and More. She blogs at the cleverly named Greta Christina's blog, one of the most widely read and widely respected blogs in the atheist blogosphere, and is a regular contributor to Alternate, Salon, Free Inquiry, and The Humanist. She was ranked by an independent analyst as one of the top most popular atheist bloggers, and her writing has appeared in numerous magazines, newspapers, and anthologies, including Ms. Penthouse, um, Skeptical Inquirer, and the Chicago Sun-Times, and the anthology, Everything You Know About God is Wrong. She is the editor of the Best Erotic Comics Anthology Series and of Paying for It, a guide by sex workers for their clients. She has been writing professionally since 1989 on topics including atheism, skepticism, sexuality, and sex positivity, LGBT issues, politics, culture, and whatever crosses her mind. She is on the, speaker bureau, uh, on the speaker's bureaus for the Secular Student Alliance and CFI, Center for Inquiry. So she tweets at, at Greta Christina. She lives in San Francisco with her beautiful wife, Ingrid. And welcome, Greta. Hi. Thank you so much for having me on the show. <laughs> yeah, that was that was um quite an introduction there. So we welcome you to the show. We have a lot to talk about today. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I've been looking forward to this to this uh talk for a long time. Excellent, excellent. What was your motivation for writing Coming Out Atheist? 
Well, the motivation was, you know, I've been involved in organized atheism in some capacity or another as a blogger and then as a public speaker, going to conferences, doing some organizing myself and so on. I've been doing this since about 2005. And ever since I've been involved in organized atheism, people have been talking about how important coming out is, how it's so important for making our own lives better as non-believers, how it's important for making things better for other non-believers, you know, how it's how we're going to build community, it's how we're going to make ourselves into a political force, you know, we, you know we, how it's going to change other people's minds about atheists. And, you know, we keep talking about, you know, this is one of the most powerful political acts we can take. And I've been saying the same thing, you know, for, for years. It's like, yes, coming out is so important. Do we have a guidebook on it? You know, because, you know, for LGBT people, there's all kinds of guides out there about how to come out, how to talk with your family, how to talk with your friends, how to talk with people at work, and, you know, how to talk with your kids about it, and so on. And I just kind of assumed that there was a coming out guide for atheists, and there wasn't. And... You know, the years went on and years went on, and there there was no guide. And you know, and there's some organizations would put out like pamphlets and so on, but there was no really thorough, detailed guide. And I finally just decided I need to write this myself. You know, no, you know, it's it, it's not happening. I need to do it. And so that was the motivation. It was very much a book that I wrote because it seemed like there was a need out there. Excellent, excellent. And as they say, you know, you want to write and produce what you want to read, what you want to hear. And, you know, this is vitally important for the community because, you know, coming out as an atheist and being a part of this community, you know, it's hard to find a soft place to land. And, you know, I love how you basically you were encouraging people in this book to find an atheist community and join that and, you know, to kind of get, a, you know, an idea as to what's happening out here and also so that they can build up their knowledge base, um, increase their research, and that is vitally needed as well. What do you think is harder, coming out as an atheist or coming out as LGBTQ? Well, I think that varies somewhat depending on the person and depending on their circumstances, but for myself, as somebody who's atheist and a bisexual, and also for a lot of the other LGBTQ people I know who are atheists, more I would say most of them say that it's harder to come out as atheist. Um, and I think that there's a lot of reasons for that, but I think the main reason is just that you know the LGBTQ community has been at this for many decades now. You know, it's been you know ever since the late '60s, early '70s. You know, we've been a very visible, vocal, activist, mobilized. You know, community, and we've been doing this work of you know coming out and changing people's minds about us, and you know organizing and you know just changing how people think about us for decades now. And organized atheism is—I mean, organized atheism has been around for a long time, but we've really only been in that very visible, vocal, mobilized, active, getting the word out about us to the world mode for i don't know like maybe 10 years or so you know it's it's we really haven't been at it for as long and so we just haven't had as much time to to change people's minds about us and so um and i think there might be another factor at play as well and this is something i write about some in the book which is when we come out as lgbtq we're not telling straight people that they're wrong to be straight but when we when you come out as a non-believer there's kind of no way around it you are telling people who believe in god that you think there's wrong. There's no way to say, I don't believe in God, without saying, if you do believe in God, I think you're wrong. And you don't have to get into those arguments if you don't want to. You know, you don't have to say another word about it. But it is a little bit 
inherently confrontational in a way that coming mm-hmm. out as LGBTQ isn't necessarily. And so I think that that may be another factor that makes it a little more difficult. But mostly I think it's just we just haven't had as much time to really get out there in the public eye and change people's minds about us. And so I think, therefore, it's, it's a little bit more difficult. You know, but again, Excellent. it varies a lot from person to person. Very much so, very much so. So how can we help each other come out as non-believers, atheists, humanists, what have you? How can we help each other? That's such an interesting question. It's When I wrote the book, I mean, the book is called Coming Out Atheist, How to Do It, How to Help Each Other, and Why. And, you know, the bulk of the book is advice on just simply how to come out yourself, how to tell your family, your friends, the people you work with, and so on. But there is an entire section in the book on how to help each other, because I do think that's hugely important. We don't go through this alone. Um, You know, it's a a large topic. You know, I can't really get into all of it in this conversation, but Mm -hmm. a few high points are probably the single most important thing we can do to help other atheists come out is simply to come out ourselves, you know, as much as we can, as safely as we can, you know, because a lot of atheists say, you know, I I did a lot of research for this book. I I read over 400 uh, coming out stories, uh, coming out atheist stories when I was researching this book. And a lot of atheists say that the thing that made it easier for them to come out was just seeing other out atheists, you know, seeing other people because it just made them feel like, oh, if they can do it, I can do it. And then so when we come out, it makes it easier for other atheists you know, because they don't feel like they're alone, and then they make it easier for the next wave to come out and so on. So that's hugely important. One of the most important things is just to come out ourselves. And then I think, and there's a few other things, but I think the, the other most important thing is, as you were saying, to build community. You know, because, you know, a lot of what people get out of religion is community. You know, you get social support, you get economic support, you get, you know, everything from a place to have your wedding to daycare to to picnics to people to talk to when you're having a hard time to people to turn to for financial support when you're having a hard time. You know, job counseling, you know, marriage counseling, people get so much support through religion. And when you leave religion, a lot of times you lose that support. And so, you know, building a community that provides some or all of what religion provides, you know, without the toxic not believing, you know, the, 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 you know, the stuff about how you have to believe in this invisible creature that we have no reason to think is true part, you know, when, when we build those communities, that's what makes it easier for other atheists to come out. Excellent, and that's true. You know, we definitely believe in community building, and I'm sure you've noticed over the past, we'll say five to seven years, you've seen more atheists of marginalized communities coming out, and so diversity is a big word that's been going around in the atheist community, and just um, how can the atheist community welcome diversity or increase their diversity in this community because many of us, when we come into this community, you know, even though a lot of people don't want to hear this, you know, we do look for people that look a little bit like us, that we're a little bit more familiar with some of their experiences. How can this community basically welcome more people of color and women and LGBTQ and others, you know, groups that are already marginalized? That's so. It's such an important question. Of course, it's a hugely. It's a huge question. It's a, it's a very large question. Um, I think you know one of the most important steps is to just realize that this has to be done. You know, to realize that you have to take conscious, proactive steps to make it happen. You know, it's and it's it's hard for people to accept this, but you know we all have 
unconscious biases. You know, we all have, you know, we've all internalized sexism, we've all internalized racism, we've all internalized classism, transphobia, homophobia, and, and so on. And, and it doesn't make us terrible people. You know, we grew up in our culture and we absorbed our culture and it would be surprising if that weren't true. But because we have these unconscious biases, that means that we have to take really conscious action to overcome them. It's not going to happen by itself. You know, so if, you're, if your local group or if your online forum or your conferences or whatever, you know, if you're not drawing people of color, if you're not drawing women, if you're not drawing a working class and blue collar people, if you're not drawing people who, are leaving, who have left religions other than Christianity, then, you know, then there's something you're doing wrong. And again, that doesn't make you a terrible person, but it means that you have to take action. And, that, you know, there's lots of actions that people can take. One of the most important is, you know, if you're a community or a group, is uh, if you have speakers or programs, you know, make a, a conscious effort to get people in to speak who, who aren't white, who aren't male, who aren't middle class and college educated. You know, go out of your way to cast a wider net. And, you know, if you just get people... Um, you know, people of color, women, working class people, et cetera, you know, up front as people that you're listening to, you know, say, hey, we're getting these speakers in, we're doing these programs, we're doing these workshops, you know, led by people who aren't, you know, white, male, middle class, et cetera, that sends a signal that, you know, hey, we're, we're interested in these voices, we're interested in these viewpoints. Um, and I think probably another hugely important thing is if you already have uh, people who are marginalized in your group, uh, encourage them to step into positions of leadership. I mean, there's this, uh, uh, I don't know if you know, there's an organization called C. Jane Run, and they're an organization that encourages women to run for political office. And what they say is that one of the most important factors that gets women to run for office is just somebody asking them to do it. You know, when you're a marginalized person, you're not used to being to seeing yourself as a leader because you're not treated as a leader by, by your society. Uh, but exactly. when people ask us to do it and say, hey, you would be really good. You should run for president of, or, of the organization. You should run for the board of directors. You should, you should step up. You're really, you have these excellent qualities, and you would be a good leader. That helps us think of ourselves as, as leaders. Uh, and, and then when marginalized people get into positions of leadership, then that makes other people from that marginalized group feel like, hey, this is, this is about me. My concerns are going to be listened to. And and that's probably the third thing is to just listen. You know, I've spoken with so many people who it's like they hear that, you know, w women don't feel welcome in their group, that African-American people don't feel welcome, that Hispanics don't feel welcome, that blue-collar people don't feel welcome. And they don't want to hear it. They don't want to listen to what these people are saying they're doing that's making them feel unwelcome. And they just their, their attitude is, well, because I'm not consciously racist, I'm not consciously sexist, I'm not consciously classist, you know, because I didn't intend to exclude you, therefore, you right. didn't feel excluded. And therefore, I don't oh, have yeah. to change anything I'm doing. Um, and that's ridiculous. We have to – that's probably the number one thing we have to do. I said there are three number one things, right? They're all important. Hey. Uh, we have to listen. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, that is funny. But, you know, that's absolutely true. And, you know, it's interesting because there are a lot of non-believers or atheists that do not believe that logical fallacies are, you know, fall within our purview, and they do. And you just gave us one great one about them not being conscious of, you know, some of the biases. So, therefore, that makes them unbiased. So it's just uh, interesting when you put that, you know, out there like that. But 
what I find interesting in the community um, is when talking to religious people, and, you know, you have some people out here that like to argue about religion, but I feel that we need to have more of a dialogue, more of a meeting of the minds, more so about the fact that we have more in common than differences. And, you know, that's one of the things that we are trying to, you know, get, get across with people of color beyond faith because we do invite this to our panels and to the webcast because, you know, we try to balance the panels out so that we can, you know, again, forge a bridge, put a bridge and get a better understanding about, you know, each other's community. Some of us have come from religion. Some of us, you know, came from a secular household. Um, how do you feel we should, um, you know, basically confront, you know, religious friends and families as far as having, you know, an amicable dialogue is concerned? Well, I think that that actually varies a lot from person to person, and it can vary based on just your own personality, whether you're just sort of a more oppositional, confrontational person, or whether you're somebody who's more diplomatic and likes to make, you know, connections and see common ground. I think that that varies a lot, and it can also vary a lot depending on just your, your circumstances in your culture. You know, if you're coming from a situation or a culture where, you know, religion is really, really important to the people in your, to a lot of the people in your life, you know, you may want to be more building bridges, having a dialogue, building common ground, whereas if you're coming out of a situation where, you know, the people in your life aren't that religious or religion isn't that important to them, or you have some religious people in your life but others who are not that many, you might be more willing to get into more oppositional, more arguments and so on. I actually do think that arguments with believers can be very effective. They can be worth very worthwhile. Uh, it's something I talk about in the book is that you know, an awful lot of atheists say that the reason they're atheists today is that people in their lives got into arguments with them. You know, they said, hey, I, what, why do you believe in God? There's no good reason to think that. And, you know, they, they had their beliefs and ideas challenged. And they are glad that that happened because, you know, they've now let go of religion, which they think was not doing them any good. Uh, but again, that varies a lot. You know, it's other people don't feel that way. Other people really prefer to have more, you know, setting aside differences and focusing on common ground. And I feel like there's room for all of that in this community and in this movement. I, I want to let people who like to argue, argue. And I like to let people who want to build bridges, build bridges. And sometimes people like to do both, depending on, on the situation. Now, what I do think, and this comes back around to the book, is that if you do like to get into arguments with believers about religion, the coming out conversation is not the time for it. Because it's already probably going to be a difficult conversation. And you don't need to exacerbate it by, you know, you know it's like if, if the people in your life are already going to get upset by the fact that you're a non-believer – you know, because they may feel rejected. They may take it very personally. A lot of people take their religion very personally. And when you say, I don't believe in God, they often don't hear it as just, we happen to disagree on this factual question. They hear it as a personal rejection, as a rejection of the family, of the culture, of the history that you share, and so on. And and I kind of think there may no, be no way around that, but I don't think we need to exacerbate it to while we're having the coming out conversation to then also try to pry them out of religion. Uh, so I think that if you are somebody who is interested in getting into debates with believers, wait until the coming out conversation is over. Wait until they've, they've basically accepted your non-belief and, and then if you want to have that conversation, that would be a better time for it. 
Excellent, excellent, because what I find interesting is, with my own personal experience, is with many people in my family, um, I think that they would rather have me be LGBTQ than atheist, <laughs> because we always have, <laughs> because in the back of their mind, especially the ones that are, you know, deeply spiritual or, you know, really into religion, they always, many of them feel that there is always redemption for that, because, again, you have these damaging organizations around, um, and I'm talking about the ex-gay you know, um, programs and organizations out there. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people in the religious community that believe that if they lay hands on you and throw some oil on you and pray for you and send you to, you know, an ex-gay boot camp, that you're going to come back the way that they want you to be. But when it comes to being an atheist, they feel that there's absolutely no redemption for you, that you're going straight to hell. And in my case, many people in my family, they just don't talk about it. I'll bring it up, and they will deflect and change the subject on me really, really quickly. And, you know, one of the interesting things is that I'm an ex-minister. Oh, that's interesting. So that's even more intense for them, I'm sure. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And and especially for the people who um, knew me from when I was in ministry, so the different churches that I attended. And many of them act as though I'm invisible when I do see them. And the ones that do talk to me, it's just general conversation, and I can tell that they're very, you know, uncomfortable in that particular situation. So, you know, I take all of that into consideration and I move on. But in this community, we see more and more clergy coming out, which is absolutely wonderful. And one thing I will say about this community is that they embrace um, ex-clergy, and that's what I love about the Clergy Project. You know, I'm not a member of it, but, you know, I've done a lot of reading on it and kept up, and I know a couple of people that have been through that particular program. And so I guess, you know, my question is, do you believe that we're going to see more people in the ministry coming out as time goes on, especially since there are more of us coming forward, you know, in the community and coming out as atheists? Uh, I, I think so. I certainly hope so. And I think so. I think that especially as, you know, the clergy project gets more more visibility and more people know about it, I do think we're going to get more clergy uh, coming out. I mean, because this is, I mean, this is a little bit anecdotal. I, I don't necessarily have data to back this up, but it's, it seems to be true. A lot of people I've talked with agree. Uh, so with that, you know, warning in place, it seems to me that a lot of times people who leave religion and become atheists are often the people who take religion most seriously. You know, it's like if you just kind of like, yeah, I'm just going to believe what everybody else around me believes, and you don't really think about it that much, you're more likely to just kind of go along with the you know, go along with the crowd, but it's the people who really thought about religion and who really want to understand it. They want to understand God. They want to understand Jesus or Muhammad or whoever it is, you know, Buddha or whoever it is they believe in. And it's because they investigate it, that's when they realize, oh, this doesn't make sense and this falls apart and there's all these contradictions and it does, it conflicts with reality and it conflicts with science. And, and so those are often the people who end up leaving religion and of course that's clergy right clergy are the people who take religion most seriously and really think about it and so i think that as you know clergy people both you know as atheism becomes more visible and as the phenomenon of atheist ex-clergy becomes more visible they're going to feel safer you know coming out they're going to feel safer questioning their religion in the first place and then 
coming out about it. Now, of course, there's a flip side to that, which is that it's harder in a lot of ways for clergy to, to come out as non-believers because you know you're not just disappointing your friends or your family. You're disappointing your whole community. You have this whole community of people who look, look up to you uh, as the, the, the godly person, and so you're letting them down. And, of course, you're also you know, going to be losing your job. So, right. And, and that's <laughs> difficult, too. And so I think that there are some things about coming out as you – know, if you're a clergy that, that are more difficult. You know, and people, I think, are going to get – I don't know if you – I actually would ask you about this. Um, my experience with some other clergy, uh, talking with that ex-clergy – talking with them is that because people you know if, if you know people do tend to believe in god because their authority figures tell them you know their clergy tells them their parents tell them you know everybody around them tells them that god exists but if your authority figure the person that you have been looking at to tell you yes god exists and here's all the reasons why if they're having questions if they're having doubts if they leave it that undermines your own faith and so that and if you don't want your faith undermined, if your faith is important to you, then, then that's going to be upsetting. So, so was that your experience? Do you feel that as an ex-minister, it was that, that you were letting people down more, you know, that people were more upset with you than they would have been if you were just another person in the pews? Oh, most definitely, and because when I was in the ministry, I dealt with a lot of the youth, so, you know, education as far as, like, prepping them for ACT, SAT, tutoring, and just being, you know, um, a good role model, if you will. When I finally totally accepted my non-belief, I just disappeared. Mm -hmm. And I did that on purpose because I did not want to damage um, their faith, whether it was the young people or some of the older people in the congregation that took favor upon me as well. I didn't want to damage their faith because, you know, when, you're first, when you first become a non-believer, you're still going through those stages of grief. So you're still kind of bargaining, God, if you're really there, give me a sign. You know, you have one foot in and one foot out, and you're trying to figure it out. But, um, yeah, no, I thought it was important that I totally remove myself from the situation and not influence them one way or the other. So, you know, I took a few years to develop myself, to do the research and to get a better understanding and you know it's, it's a process it's like a metamorphosis if you will and even to this day I'm still deprogramming from the, some of the things that I had been taught you know from as a child by my family and in a ministry and it takes time and because of our culture you know a lot of this is embedded within our culture it takes a little time to shed that it took me a long time to stop saying God bless you after someone would sneeze so you know, it takes time, but, yeah, I totally removed myself from that situation, and I came out publicly as a public figure, if you will, three years ago when we started this show. Otherwise, you know, I was, you know, uh, had my little anonymous names on Facebook and on the blogs, but I would challenge, you know, some of the believers and just to kind of get their input. And sometimes I would throw little seeds of doubt, but I've always been very careful about that. I've always been very conscientious about that because, you know, in, in the Christian community and in particular the black Christian community, and I'm going to speak on that because that's where I came from, religion is interwoven into our culture. So for me to say that I am an atheist, a non-believer, there are some who would see me as a race traitor, 
there will be some who sees me as turning my back on my particular culture. And so it turns into, you know, a totally different, you know, situation and understanding about it. So I had to take time and build it up and slowly, you know, turn the war up to a boiling point, point, you know, with the frog in there. I didn't just throw the frog in a pot of boiling water. I had to put the frog in there when the water was still tepid. <laughs> so, you know, it took some time. But, yeah, I don't believe that I'm someone or anyone should necessarily attack and destroy somebody else's faith. What I feel we should do is educate them and give them the resources. And then that's one of the reasons why we challenge people to research and to think. And we give them just enough information so while they're out there researching it, they'll learn more and more. And then if they have questions or doubts, they came to that decision on their own. I just planted a little seed, but I didn't necessarily cultivate it. Well, and that's a, that's a theme that actually comes up again and again in the book, in the Coming Out Atheist book, is that a lot of times people say that simply coming out is what, you know, simply seeing other people come out is what planted the seeds of doubt for themselves. You know, it's not just what helps them feel more comfortable coming out if they're already non-believers. It's often what helps people change their mind. And even if you never get into arguments with people, even if you never, you know, try to, you know, persuade them that their religion is mistaken, simply coming out, simply being an out atheist often does, is what helps you know, what, what gets people to, to start rethinking, you know, to, to plant the seeds of doubt. And it's funny, what you're talking about is kind of a catch-22 because, you know, on the one hand, you know, if what we want to do is create communities for people of color and indeed for everybody, but in particular, I think for people of color, because as you say, it's so, religion is so embedded with the culture. And yet that's hard for people who are non-believers who get treated like race traders and they don't want to speak up because they feel like they're going to lose that that community and that culture. And so on the one hand, you know, we want to, you know, encourage people to come out because that's how we create communities, you know, so that people do feel comfortable questioning their faith, so people do feel comfortable leaving their faith, you know, and, and you know, if, if they feel like it doesn't work for them anymore. And yet, as you say, that's a hard thing to do when, you know, you're asking people to kind of take this big leap out of a community and out of a, a support network into a place where, you know, that support network is starting to get built, it's starting to be there, but it's not really as strong as it needs to be yet. And so it's kind of, but of course, what we need to do to make that stronger is to get more people to come out. So it's kind of, you know, it, it's a cast 22 and, and I think it's just, it's, the only way around that is that it's just a slow process and, you know, people are going to, um, and in fact, it's one of the things that I talk about a lot in the book is, you know, I do encourage people to come out if they can, if they feel like it's safe, if they feel like they're not going to lose their job, they're not going to lose their home, they're not going to totally alienate their family. Um, because most atheists, and this is true across gender lines, across race lines, across class lines, overwhelmingly atheists who have come out of the closet say that they're happy they did it. They think that it was the right decision. Uh, they, you know, and that's true even if they do lose a lot, even if they do lose family, even if they do lose friends. Um, they still say that it was the right decision. I mean, again, I uh, read over 400 coming out narratives uh, for this book. Literally over those hundreds of stories, one person said they regretted having done it. Um, and that's kind of 
overwhelming. And so most people think that, that it's the right thing to do. But, and so I do you know, I encourage people to take that step. At the same time, I don't want to pressure people into doing it if they think it's the wrong time for them. You know, I don't want to guilt trip people or make people feel like there's something wrong with you. You're a bad atheist if, you, if you're not out. You know, that's not the case. You know, we all have to do it on our own timetable, and we all have to sort of make that cost-benefit analysis ourselves. Exactly. That is absolutely correct. And I'm just going to build on something that you said a minute ago. And this is something that we discuss, you know, on a continuous basis on this show. When we're talking about building the communities and how, you know, the church has been the focal point in many communities, but especially in communities of color, they've provided in, in some cases um, daycares, schooling, um, assistance for, you know, your utilities, you know, the LIHEAP CETA program, um, food donation, just, you know, the focal point of a lot of things in the community. And this is one of the things that I've talked about in the atheist community, that we have to find a way to go into the community and establish some of these same programs. And, again, without the anti-proselytizing, if you will, but being able to have that support base and, and show people that, you know, you can, you know, be a non-believer and still, you know, uh, have an interest in social justice, grassroots activism, you know, community activism. And that's one thing that I'm starting to see slowly but surely in this community is that we're building up these communities. We're becoming more service-oriented. We're becoming more people-oriented. We're coming out and showing people that, see, when you become an atheist or you come out as an atheist, you don't spontaneously combust. You know, what do you <laughs> see in the future? Yeah, you know, what do you see in the future of atheism? Do you see us becoming more community-centered? I certainly hope so. And I think that, that and I, I, you know, I may be just being an optimist here, but I do think that that's uh, certainly one of the directions that we're moving in. You know, it's when I started doing this a few years ago, you know, I started doing public speaking and traveling around the country to, to give talks about atheism. Um, you know, there, there were, you know, there, there are certainly local communities and so on, but, you know, I am now seeing there's at this point, there's a local atheist community in, as far as I'm aware, every major city in the United States and in a whole lot of yeah. not so major cities. Um, and that wasn't true a few years ago. That wasn't true five or ten years ago. And so, and I do think that those communities are uh, are getting better at, you know, uh, Sort of looking at you know what do what do people need what do what are people getting from religion and what do people need and at expanding that into you know there is a little bit of a tendency among you know white middle class college educated atheists to say oh what do people need from religion well they need ritual they need rites of passage they need a sense of you know companionship and continuity well yeah people need that but they also need like you were saying daycare help with their utility bills you know it, it, job counseling you know uh, counseling you know like you were saying, GED and uh, SAT training. You know, they need, exactly. you know, real hard-line practical support. And and I think it's there's a little bit of privilege speaking when we are looking to create our communities and we are not looking at those things. Uh, so I do think that we need to focus on those more. But I, uh, but I am seeing that. I'm seeing that movement, you know, slowly but surely and sometimes painfully. Uh, but I am seeing that movement, and, and, I, and I'm, opti- I'm optimistic. I mean, I'm always optimistic. I'm just kind of generically, reflexively optimistic. Um, <laughs> but, 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 but I am seeing that, and, um, and I do hope that we keep doing it more. Excellent, excellent. And, you know, just kind of tying this in, the stereotype for atheists is 
middle to upper class, educated, highly educated white male. And that is starting to change. You're seeing more women. You're seeing more people of color. You're seeing people from all socioeconomic classes coming into this community. Now, one of the things that I've run into and one of the more troubling issues that I've seen are basically there are, you know, a few select people out here that make comments. Um, I'll give you a specific one. Dusty when he made his video about black people, black Christians are Uncle Tom's. And we did a show about it. Um, There were several blogs that were written um, in regards to that particular video. But I was looking at just the greater atheist community as a whole. And one of the things that I haven't seen over the years is their basically condemning, you know, some of the, you know, racism, the sexism, the homophobia, so on and so forth that I see in this community. Um, When the Supreme Court made their decision about DOMA, that was absolutely fantastic and wonderful and marriage equality, and everybody wrote a blog about it. Absolutely wonderful. I supported all of that. But when the Supreme Court shut down Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act, we saw nothing. Crickets and tumbleweeds. When the Zimmerman trial um, verdict came through, crickets and tumbleweeds, with the exception of the American Humanist Association. So, you know, taking all of that into consideration, you know, this is one of the reasons why many people of color find it hard um, entering into the mainstream atheist, um, you know, environment or community. How can they, you know, uh, begin to show? Um, that they are really serious about diversity, serious about, you know, marginalized communities, but also being able to basically tell some of the people in their organizations that are perpetuating a lot of these stereotypes and antagonizing a lot of anger and hatred, you know, how do, how do they deal with that? How do we move on? How do we come to a meeting of the minds? Uh, boy, I sure wish I knew the answer to that. I mean, <laughs> if, if, if I knew the answer to, you know, how do we get the leadership in this movement to, you know, pay attention to intersectionality and to pay attention to, you know, to, you know, issues that matter to people who aren't, you know, white, middle class, college educated men. Boy, if I knew the answer to that, I would be doing it night and day. Um, I mean, I have some thoughts. I mean, I think that one of the reasons why uh, – Atheist leadership has, you know, and it's true, atheist leadership and and both organizational leadership and thought leaders like bloggers and so on uh, have been all over same-sex marriage and all over LGBTQ issues. And I think one of the reasons for that is that they see it as a religious issue. They, they see, you know, that, you know, the oppression of LGBTQ people, the opposition to same-sex marriage is overwhelmingly driven by religion. And so they see it as being very much tied in with, you know, with atheism, with, you know, and, and with resistance to religion or providing alternatives to it. And I think that they don't see... You know, if it's you know an issue like you know the uh, you know Trayvon Martin, if it's an issue like the Voting Rights Act or whatever, they see it as mission drift. And now I think they're wrong. I think that they're hugely mistaken to see it as mission drift. And an example I've been using lately is, you know, if a local community, if a local atheist community, does a highway cleanup, 
you know, or if they do a blood drive, nobody says that 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 that's mission drift. You know, nobody says, oh well, you can't. You know, you're 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 an atheist organization. What are you doing cleaning up the highways? You know, that that doesn't have anything to do with atheism, because they recognize it as this is something that we're doing to create bonds within our own community and also to let the world at large know that we're here and that we're good people. Well, if we can do that about highway cleanups, why can't we do that about the Voting Rights Act? You know, why can't we do that about you know resisting you know racist police policies? Why can't we do that about, you know, racist education policies, racist drug policies? You know, it's it's not mission drift if what we're doing is good humanists and, you know, making making a positive community and making a positive contribution and creating a community that's welcoming to all people. So I think that if there's a way to get leadership to do it, it to, to pay attention to these issues, it's to show them the ways that it that it is not mission drift. To show them the ways that this really is on topic. This has to do with you know religion. This has to do with atheism. At the very least, it has to do with atheist community building and creating a public image of ourselves that that we're good people who who care about doing the right thing. Uh, but you know, boy, I wish I sure wish it were easier because it needs to happen. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And, you know, just going back into what you were saying about, you know, somewhat PR, you know, atheism, you know, we're trying to put, you know, a more friendly face on atheism. We're trying to make it more appealing to the general public. And have you seen that mission uh, being achieved thus far, or are we still on a long road to making it more palatable to your average American? Well, I do think that we're making progress. I mean, I know that there is that uh, Gallup poll, I think Gallup poll, Mm -hmm. some poll, uh, that asked people, would you vote for any of these groups for president? Would you vote for a black person? Would you vote for a woman? Would you vote for a Jewish person? Would you vote for a Muslim? Would you vote for an atheist, a Mormon, et cetera, uh, for president? And, you know, atheists are typically at the bottom of that list, right? We're always at the bottom. Uh, But about 10, 15 years ago, that number was about 45%. Only 45% of Americans would vote for an atheist for president. And in the, when that poll was done again, recently it was up to a little over 50%. I don't remember the number offhand. Now, that's still pathetic. That's still just sad. I mean, really, it's like, oh, you know, ba- you know we're barely electable. Woohoo! You know, it's, you know, let's have a party. Uh, but, but it is improvement. You know, that's, it was a, it's a not trivial improvement in not that long a time. And I'm especially seeing that among young people. You know, it's, you know, and it's, you know, rates of non-belief are going up, of course, at a dramatic rate among young people. But it seems that also yeah. rates of acceptance of non-belief among believers are going up among young people. And in fact, a lot of young people are rejecting uh, the sort of very hardline evangelical religions, even if they're not becoming non-believers, because they don't like how, you know, homophobic they are, how sexist they are, how racist they are, and so on. And so I am seeing more acceptance of of atheists, uh, but I do think we have a long way to go. And I think that there's also... You know, there's always a certain amount of backlash when a community and a movement starts to become very visible and starts to become very vocal and starts to demand rights. There's always backlash. You know, that happened with the civil rights movement, the LGBT movement, the feminist movement, and so on. There's always a backlash when we start to get very visible. And I do think that we should expect that. Uh, but I am seeing a lot of progress. And I think that we actually kind of have a leg up in a lot of ways on, say, uh, 
people who are pushing back against you know racism and homophobia and so on, which is that our numbers are going up. You know, as yeah. gay people come out as gay, they don't make more gay people. You know, it's like they, right. there aren't more gay people now uh, as, you know, that movement has become more visible. But there are more atheists now, you know, because atheism, it's, it's an idea about the world. It's not like this thing that you discover about yourself. It's something you realize is true about the world. And our numbers are going up. And so as that happens, obviously, you know, it's like, you know, pe- more people are going to, to think better of us. That's true. That's true. And you mentioned young people. And, you know, every time I have a guest on the show, I always give them an opportunity to give a few words of encouragement to some of our younger listeners out there because, as you were saying, the numbers are increasing. More and more people are feeling comfortable coming out. And the younger generations, they're more accepting. They're more tolerant. They, you know, they're more free thinking, if you will. So if you would like, give a few words of encouragement to some of our young listeners out there? Oh, well, definitely. I think everything that you just said, you know, the numbers of atheists among young people are just skyrocketing. I've seen a poll recently that said it was like about 30%. Uh, you know, that, that, that may be a little inflated, but, you know, it's huge. The number of people under 25 who are non-believers are, it, it's, it's exploding. And so that means that if you do come out, your chances are very good that you're going to find people who who share your ideas and who are who are supportive of you, or at least if, even if they aren't themselves non-believers, who are okay with it because they've sure met a whole lot of other non-believers. The other thing that so so yes, absolutely that's true. The other thing I would say is that in my experience with the student atheist movement, the student atheist movement is so much better about this intersectionality stuff and about the social justice stuff than their elders are. You know, when I give talks about diversity to student groups they're almost always on board. Now, they're not always doing everything right. I will definitely say that. They're not always doing everything right. But they don't, it do, they don't have to have it explained to them why this matters. They get why this matters. And they just want to talk about how, how to do it. And so I think that, you know, if you're African-American or another person of color who's considering coming out and you're a young person, uh, chances are very good that the people you're coming out to, even if they're not already, already doing everything right in terms of you know, race and racial diversity and racial sensitivity, uh, they really, really want to. They really care about this, and they are doing a much better job of it uh, than, the, than the older organizations and the older groups. So I would in- give you that encouragement as well. Excellent, excellent. And one of your chapters, I wanted you to kind of explain a little bit more about it, um, support or pressure, how to tell the difference. And the reason why I'm bringing that up is because with some of the younger folks and even some of the older people that are part of this community, especially some people who are not out, um, we try to offer them support. That's one of the reasons why we have the monthly webcast of People of Color Beyond Faith because we understand that there are some people who can't come out for whatever reason, but we want them to get the education and the knowledge that's needed, you know, and give them some support and some encouragement. And so especially with some of the younger people with the peer pressure that they're on, and, you know, you have people out here saying that this non-belief is a fad and, you know, a lot of pressure. So I know that kind of ties in a little bit with that chapter that you wrote in your book. 
Well, yes, it's one of the things that, you know, in, it's in the section on how to support each other in coming out. And I do think that, I, I think it's a good idea to encourage other atheists to come out, just to let them know, look, it's okay, lots of other people have done this, pretty much everybody who's done this says that they're happier, you know, they say that their lives are better, and so on. But I think it's really important that that encouragement not become pressure, that it not become guilt tripping, you know, that we not say it's like you're a bad person if you're not out, you're a bad atheist if you're not out, you know, it's you owe it to other, you know, it's like, you know, I think we can say, yes, coming out helps other atheists without saying you owe it to other atheists to come out. You know, I, we don't want martyrs in this movement. It's one of the good things about being an atheist is, exactly. you know, there's no <laughs> martyrs. Um, and, and I do think that it's, that we that when we are encouraging atheists to come out, that we do it with a recognition that it is more difficult for some people than it is for others. You know, sometimes that's for really practical reasons. You know, they could lose their job, they could lose their home, they could lose custody of their kids. Uh, sometimes it's for emotional reasons. You know, maybe their life won't be ruined, but you know, they they have roots in a religious community, and and they they're reluctant to let go of that and sometimes it's just for personal reasons people have different personalities and are some people are more confrontational than others some people are more independent than others or you know care less about what other people think of them than others and and so i think that when we're encouraging each other to come out we need to recognize those differences and recognize that it is more difficult for some people than others and you know again some of that's for cultural reasons some of it's just for personal reasons or practical reasons and so it's one of the things that uh, I say a lot in the book is, you know, when I'm encouraging people to come out, you know, coming out is not an either-or thing. It's a spectrum. It's a process. It's not like you're either out of the closet or you're not. Exactly. It's that you're more or less out. You know, you're out to more people or to fewer people. And, and I think that a lot of what I say is come out if you can. Come out if it's safe. Take one step out of the closet. You know, if, if, if you reasonably can, you're not going to ruin your life. You know, start telling a few people. Um, and, and I think that it's very important when we're creating that encouragement to have that recognition that it's just not as easy as, for some people as it is for others. Exactly, exactly, and that ties into something that, you know, we were talking about earlier, that is a slow progression, it's a process, and it's going to be a long process. You know, even now I'm still, as I stated earlier, deprogramming myself and, you know, being conscientious about what I say, how I say, and and what's going on around me, because religion is so embedded our culture, just Western culture in general. So, you know, it's good to know. And, it's, you know, I want to make sure that people understand that, you know, we're all learning. We're all still evolving. We're all still, you know, uh, coming into our own. So, again, it's a process. So, and there's no race. You know, we're not trying to race to be who's going to be, you know, atheist of the year or or anything like that. And and there's really no one thing I do stress to people. There is no right way or wrong way to be an atheist. You know, being an atheist is simply, you know, a lack of belief, no belief in a in a deity. So, you know, I just want to make sure that we don't turn into what we walked away from, you know, as far as, like, setting up all of these arbitrary rules that are subjectively applied to different people in different circumstances, because, you know, we don't want this to turn into a religion. But one of the quotes... One of the quotes coming from your book, coming out as an atheist is a powerful, liberating act. I guess my question to you is, what was the most liberating factor for you 
when you came out as an atheist? Well, that's a good question because for me, for me, it was actually relatively easy in that, you know, my own family are mostly non-believers, you know, and in, in fact, when I became, I was, I was raised a non-believer, I kind of picked up some new age religion in college and, and had to go through my process of letting go of that. So it was relatively easy for me, uh, and that's one of the reasons why I actually do try to have compassion for other people is I get that I was lucky, you know, uh, it, 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 was, it wasn't that difficult for me. I would say the thing that was most liberating about it for me was becoming part of the atheist community. Because, you know, and as, as maddening and as frustrating and as thick-headed as this community can be sometimes, it's also the community can also just be extraordinary. This community can be amazing. And when I did start, you know, talking about, you know, when I realized that I was an atheist when I accepted atheism and started talking about it online and started participating in the online atheist community and then in this sort of network of in-the-flesh communities that are all around the country and all around the world. And just being part of that community was just extraordinarily liberating. And in particular, and it's funny because we keep talking about diversity and how we need so much more diversity in this movement, and we absolutely do. And yet, my experience is that becoming part of the atheist community has been hugely broadening in terms of my own just circle of friends, people who I'm connected with. You know, when it's so easy to just hang around with people who are like you. And, you know, before I was part of organized atheism, I tended to mostly hang around with, you know, middle class, college educated, you know, super duper liberal white nerds, you know, like me. Right. Uh, about right. My, <laughs> of, of roughly my age, you know, we're, you know, middle, middle aged, I should add to that list. Um, and when I started participating in organized atheism, I just almost overnight started becoming colleagues and very close friends with people of all different ages, people of all different races, people of all different nationalities, people of all different uh, economic and social classes, educational backgrounds, geographies. You know, I'm you know, friends with people from around the world in a way that I wasn't before. And that experience has just been extraordinary and extraordinarily joyful. Excellent, excellent, excellent. And, you know, I wanted to talk briefly about some of your other writings, if you don't mind. Absolutely. All right. Why are atheists so angry? <laughs> so that's, that's my, my other book is, uh, one of my other books is, Why Are You Atheists So Angry? 99 Things That Piss Off the Godless. And, you know, the very short answer to that question is a lot of atheists are angry about religion because religion does harm. You know, it's, it's religion does some really, you know, people do really terrible things in the name of religion and inspired by religion. And, and I think that it's, you know, it's like, you know, you could give the, the long list. I do. That's, I give a long list of 99 things that religion does that are terrible. Everything from, you know, parents who believe in faith healing and so they don't, their sick kids to the hospital and, you know, people who, you know, fly airplanes into buildings and people who, you know, after 9-11 happened, who vandalized and beat up people of Middle Eastern descent because they were Muslim or they thought they were Muslim and they blamed all Muslims for the attacks. You know, people who, you know, it, it, you know, it's, it's, you know, Galileo, I'm still angry about Galileo. It happened in 1633 and I'm still angry about what happened to Galileo. You know, and I'm angry at how religion was used as a rationalization for slavery. And I'm angry about, you know, when, you know, people 
when children are are abused or molested and religion you know the catholic church especially covers it up you know there's this long list of things that religion has done that does harm and you know i think it's you know atheists often get seen as oh you're angry because you're bitter or you're unhappy or you have a god-shaped hole in your heart or whatever and i think it's important to remember that a lot of atheist anger about religion it's not about harm that's done to atheists. I mean, some of it is, which is valid, but a lot of it is compassionate anger. It's anger because we see other people being harmed, and and we want to do something about it. Exactly. Um, one thing that I would say is the more and more research that I do and the more active I've become in the community, I found myself becoming more compassionate, more understanding, and, you know, making myself more available. And there have been people that have, you know, accused us of being religious apologists. But when we start breaking down the history as to what has transpired over the years, and the more educated you become, the more compassionate you become, at least that's my opinion. And this is why, you know, my angry atheist stance that I used to have way back when, and, you know, I pretty much have put the angry Kim in a box at the back of the closet and, you know, <laughs> and come out, you know, a little bit more caring, a little bit more compassionate. But, you know, um, to answer the question that I gave you earlier about um, liberation and the most liberating factor of coming out as an atheist, I'll go ahead and give my answer. And to me, the cornerstone of religion is fear, guilt, and shame. And as I, you know, retrospect on my journey in non-belief, I really believe that I'm shedding, you know, that guilt, that fear, and that shame. And I try to go back and gauge my growth, you know, as I get a little older. And I definitely have shed quite a bit of that. And that's why I think it's important that we have these shows. It's important that you guys write these books and your other book, Paying For It, A Guide by Sex Workers for Their Clients. And you talk a lot about sexuality, sex positivity, um, feminism. We're actually starting a sex show next month. And I already know they're going to be reaching out to you or we'll reach out to you to have you on that show because we definitely want to talk about sex workers and sex positivity. And, you know, I had a chance to read, you know, um, quite a bit of that, you know, what you had put out there. And, you know, you put some wonderful information out there, and I'm just glad that we're starting to be more accepting and that people are feeling more liberated and more freedom to be themselves because I believe that that will, you know, allow us to right a lot of these wrongs, um, allow people to be themselves and, you know, just take away a lot of that fear, guilt, and shame because there's really no reason for it. We should just allow people to be who they are without harming others, of course. Yeah, no, I think that that's that's absolutely true, and and your experience is a very common one. It's it's again when I was writing coming out atheist and reading these hundreds of stories uh, about coming out atheist, you know the number of people who said you know it's like when I when I left religion and when I became went public with having left religion, you know it was just it was like a weight had been lifted off my shoulders. You know it was just you know it was so liberating you know to let go as you say to let go of the fear and the guilt and the shame of something that I have no reason to think is true. And you know that people, you know, people say it's like I felt manipulated for so many years, and now I don't feel that I can make my own choices. And you know, people say, you know, that yes, that they, they were just you know hugely burdened with this sense of 
you know, of, of guilt that could never be undone. You know, the sense of, you know, no matter what you do, it's never good enough for God. No matter what you do, it's not as much as Jesus did. And, right. <laughs> uh, and when people leave, when people let go of that and when people become more public about it, because uh, that, that's one of the things about coming out is if you're a non-believer, and this is true for a lot of things, true if you're LGBT, for almost anything that you're keeping hidden, if you're not public about it, it's, it makes it easier to internalize the shame. It makes it in, easier to internalize the stigma. You know, if people are saying homophobic things, transphobic things, atheophobic things, and you keep quiet, you tend to take it into yourself. Whereas if you speak up and say, I'm gay, I'm trans, I'm an atheist, I'm, you know, whatever, poly, kinky, whatever it is that you're coming out about, uh, and what you're saying isn't true, then you're putting that that hatred and that bigotry, you're putting it back out on them, and they're responsible for it. And it's one of the things that is most liberating about coming out is that whatever shame or guilt you have, you know, it, it does, it, 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 it lifts off of you, I mean, not completely, of course, because it's a long process, as you say, but it puts it back out on them. It's their responsibility, not yours. Excellent. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I have to ask you about social justice because I know that is one of the cornerstones of um, your activism. And how can the atheist community, and, and of course this does not apply to everyone, but how can the atheist community um, show more interest, be more active, be more proactive, if you will, in social justice. Uh, again, huge, you know, huge question, and, I, and, and you know, I think one of the one of the keys to that, one of the keys to getting atheist communities more involved in social justice, is to show how it's involved with religion, and to you know, to, to latch on to social justice issues that are you know, connected with religion. You know, so, you know, some good examples of that are, you know, ways that public schools are getting defunded through voucher pro- programs that fund religious schools. I mean, that's not just a church-state separation issue. That's also a social justice issue because, you know, public schools in this country are already, you know, lousy enough, you know, it's, it's, and then defunding them more, you know, that's terrible. Um, you know, looking at, you know, for instance, the ways that uh, Catholic hospitals, you know, the Catholic Church is buying up hospitals all over the country, and they're imposing their view of reproductive rights. They're, they're, they're you know, on an entire community that looks to that hospital uh, for health care. You know, that's, you know, you know, you know, getting women birth control and abortions when needed, you know, that's, and, you know, birth control, abortions, safer sex stuff. You know, I know that, you know, HIV is a huge issue in, you know, yes. the African-American community. It's like, why the hell is the Catholic Church telling people not to use condoms? That's terrible. Um, and, you know, so that, you know, it's like, you know, for the Catholic Church to be controlling health care in this country, that's a huge social justice issue as well as a church-state separation issue. Uh, so I think that a lot of times the key to getting atheist communities more concerned about social justice is to show ways that it overlaps with religious oppression, with religious intrusion into government, with religion intrusion into people's lives. Um, and then also I think another key is, again, to show it, to, to present it as 
this is how we're putting a good face on atheism. You know, again, if we can do atheist blood drives, if we can do atheist highway cleanups, you know, then we can also right. do, you know, we can also do atheist clinic defense. You know, we can also do, you know, atheists uh, helping out at soup kitchens. You know, we can also do, you know, atheist, uh, you know, helping with, you know, education programs in, you know, in grade school, uh, you know, getting better science programs in into, into grade school and so on. You know, if we do it as – look, this is just an expansion of things we're already doing, you know, then I think that that's something that gets atheists to be less nervous about, oh, this is mission drift and, you know, we're going to you know, be completely going off the rails. Exactly, and I agree with you, and that's one of the missions with um, Sakibu Hutchison's group, the Black Skeptics Group, and, you know, we have chapters and affiliates across the country now, and we plan on being the example because the way that we see it is, you know, maybe people do not know where to start or how to start or how to do it, so, you know, we have social justice projects that we plan to implement this year. And it's not just for, you know, people or chapters or affiliates of the Black Skeptics Group. We want to include everybody. It's definitely inclusive because we need all of the volunteers. We need all of the resources that we can get our hands on because, again, we want to be able to go out into all communities, if you will, and disperse this information about, you know, HIV and AIDS, about where you can go and get anonymous testing, free anonymous testing where you can go out and get birth control, you know, reproductive rights, all of that information. Um, talk about elder abuse. Talk about maltreatment of children. Talk about, and especially with um, Dr. Hutchinson's with her scholarship program, you know, this is for children that have been, you know, marginalized, so undocumented children, homeless children, children have been part of the foster care system, LGBTQ children, because um, they also do some volunteer work at an LGBTQ homeless shelter. A lot of people aren't aware that many of the children that are homeless are LGBTQ children that have been kicked mm -hmm. out of their homes and rejected and shunned and ostracized. And this is why we feel that education is very important, having shows like this, because like we said, atheism is not enough in, in showing people why we need to be caring, why we need to be compassionate, why we need to get out here and help people just because it's the right thing to do, not necessarily because we're expecting something in return. Not everything is quid pro quo. So, yeah. you know, so I, I just see that our community is growing, it's becoming more compassionate. You know, I applaud you and others that are out there because it's not easy. And that's something that I've explained, you know, over the past couple of years, being out and especially being a public figure in this community, it's not easy. It's not easy. You know, it's not easy trying to maintain or attain, you know, employment in that type of situation. Um, one of our, you know, um, well-known public figures, you know, he's having a hard time finding employment. And, you know, this is a white male. And that's in IT. So you would think that jobs would be throwing themselves at him. And, you know, he's getting some responses that, you know, while he has the qualifications and the experience, they don't feel that it will be a culture match, if you will. So, you know, this is not easy. This is not easy, and this is why we encourage people to support, you know, the public figures in the community, to get out and support the community as a whole because we're growing. And for those of us that are on the front lines here, you know, we're taking the hits for the ones behind us, you know, trying to make it easier for them to be able to come out and be who they are. But that's what happens with any type of movement, if you will. So, you know, I just think it's important that people understand that, you know, this has not been the easiest journey for any of us.
<laughs> no, it sure hasn't. But it sure has been rewarding. I mean, for everything that, for all the difficulties and all the struggles, and you know, all the in, you know the struggles within the movement and the struggles without the uh, without of the movement. And boy, have there been a lot. And and it's you know, it's it's very stressful and it's very difficult. But boy, has it been rewarding. And and it's just that sense of changing the world. I mean, that's just magnificent. I mean, that sense yes. of you know, the world is going to be different because I was here. You know, it's like I don't believe in heaven. I don't believe in an afterlife. I think when I'm dead, I'm gone. But if the world is different because I was here, then that that makes it worth it, you know. Um, and actually, I want to get back to something you were saying earlier about uh, programs that the Black Skeptics are doing. Um, I think that's an excellent idea, and I think that uh, trying to export those programs and let other, not just you know, African American groups, but any atheist group exactly. know about them. I think that's a wonderful idea because, you know, again, I do a lot of the speaking at groups around the country and a lot of times people say, we want to do this, we just don't know how. And they, they literally, they want a list. They want like a, you know, they want an action, they want action items. You know, it's like they're on board with the idea. <laughs> they just want to know what literally specifically can we do. And I think yeah. that getting that kind of information out there, it's like, you know, you want to do, you want to do this work. You want to make atheism, you know, more diverse. You want to get, you know, you want to have atheists do good works in areas other than just, you know, highway cleanups and blood drives. You know, you want to really expand it into social justice areas. You know, you want to be doing, you know, you want to be doing good works in a larger arena. Here are some things you can do. Um, and I think that when that gets out, there's a lot of groups who are going to be saying, yes, thank you. We really, this is what we've needed. Excellent, excellent. I am so looking forward to that, and, you know, that information, we'll be putting that out there really soon because, you know, we we have a lot of plans, and, you know, we want everybody, you know, and like I said, we're inclusive, so this is for everybody. Anybody can participate because, you know, it's needed in all communities, not just, you know, specific communities. All communities need some type of encouragement, some type of support resources because, I mean, especially with this last economic bust, you know, there are people that once were donating to the food shelters, now they're in line receiving, you know, food. So, you know, this you know, a lot has changed over the years. So, you know, this is absolutely fantastic. I'm going to ask you one more question, and, you know, this is something that, you know, I find interesting. Um, in this community, I've seen a lot of discord, if you will, amongst the feminists and the atheists. Do you think we will ever find peace and be able to reconcile those differences? Oh, boy, is that a big question. Um, um <laughs> I mean, again, I'm sort of I'm this eternal optimist, so I want to say, yes, of course, we'll find peace. Um, you know, but then you look at human history. You know, people are jerks. You know, it's like you look at human history. People have been jerks for thousands of years, um, and, I, and I don't know that that's ever going to change. Um, but what I do hope is that the community will become the community as a whole will become better at turning their backs on the jerks, at turning back their backs on the really hateful misogynists, the really hateful harassers, you know, the, the really hateful, you know, and it's not just misogyny, although that's certainly been the big flashpoint uh, in recent mm-hmm. years. But, you know, what I hope is that, you know, I don't expect, you know, for people to become not sexist and not racist and not classist, you know, overnight or even in a generation or even in a century. Um, what I do hope is that we will be better. What I hope is that we will become better about this stuff and that that the people who really are hatefully misogynistic will just be shunned. 
that, that this community will become better about instead of saying, oh, we can't be divisive and these issues are so divisive and we just have to have unity, saying, no, we don't have to have unity, you know, when it comes to hate. You know, it's like mm-hmm. haters do not get to be part of this movement. And I, and, and I am seeing movement in that direction, and, uh, and I, I hope that we see more. Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you so much. And you all, the book came out last week, Coming Out Atheist, How to Do It, How to Help Each Other and Why by Greta Christina. And you can go out, they can find it on Amazon and where else? Uh, let's see, it's available in ebook and audiobook and print. It's in all the formats, and I did do the recording for the audiobook. I mean, ebook is on Kindle and Nook and Smashwords. The print edition is on Amazon and Powell's, and you're probably, your local bookstore can order it. Uh, the audiobook is on Audible and iTunes and Amazon. I mean, it's, it's pretty much everywhere. So okay. uh, if your bookstore doesn't, if you like to support your local bookstore and they don't have it, ask them to order it. Uh, and yeah, it's in all the formats. So. Check it out. Excellent. Well, thank you. And it came out last week, everybody, so it's still hot and fresh. So, you know, get out there and pick this book up. And it's an excellent book, Um, a lot of, you know, practical information in here that, you know, will help a lot of people. Now, one book that I would like to see in the future is someone talking about mixed couples. And what I mean by that, a believer and a non-believer, because I've had people in mixed relationships like that um, asking a bunch of questions. I've never been married, so I couldn't answer. So it's something for you to think about. You know what, actually, you know what, I'm going to interrupt you. Dale McGowan is writing that book. Dale, you know Dale McGowan, he does the Parenting Beyond Belief stuff? He is writing that book right now. It's coming out in the fall. Fancy, there you go. All right, now we know. Now we have an answer, so I'm going to be looking forward to that, and we'll we'll have to have him on the show so we can talk about that because we have a lot of people in this community that are in mixed relationships, and, you know, they're trying to find that, um, you know, that comfort level. They're trying to find that happy medium, so that's going to help them as well. So thank you for that information. We appreciate it. And, Greta, thank you so much for being a part of the show. And, like I said, we're going to reach out to you for our – um, well, we call it a sex show. I don't know. I don't remember what they named it. We have a meeting tonight, and they'll tell me again. And, and uh, it's, so, you know, we'll be reaching out for you, you know, about that and other things and other collaborations in the future. So, again, you know, thank you for sending me the book. I look forward to reading it. And as a matter of fact, you know, we have that one extra copy, and we probably will – um, raffle that off and have that as part of as one of our packages for the conference, you know, where we may ask you for a few more copies. So, but, you know, thank you so much for, you know, being a part of the show today. And we look forward to speaking with you again and we wish you the best with this book because we already know it's going to be a bestseller. <laughs> I, I certainly, I certainly hope you hope so. And thank you so much for having me on the show. And I absolutely would love to do this. Whatever you wind up calling the sex show, I, I think the sex Sorry. show is a great title for it, but whatever you wind up calling the sex show, I would be delighted to be on that. Fantastic. Until Ingrid, we said hello. I'll do that for sure. She she sends her love. Okay. All right. Take care. You too. Thanks again. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.